Today's teaching text comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw strips of cloth lying, strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They did, still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. She said, And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you were looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have yet to ascend to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, your Father, to my God, your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him, she, he showed, after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Happy, happy Easter to you. We have some high aims here today. I want to tell you the story of the world, and I want to tell it to you in three trees, two secret conversations, and one scandal. It's Easter morning, and that is either a celebration of truly the most remarkable event in human history that changes the story of the world in a fundamental way, or it's a nice bit of sentimentality, a day off work, a kind of conglomerate fairy tale holiday with less shine than Christmas, but that does involve candy and uh, oversized rabbits and pastel eggs. And so I'll, I'll state you know, up front, what you probably guess, I think Easter is the most substantial reason for human hope under the whole sun. It has a message of hope and, and life, profound meaning, everlasting love that matters every day, but maybe especially matters after a year plus of pandemic and our whole lives being shaken up. After all the strangeness and loneliness and stress and too much news and too many times hearing the word unprecedented in one year. 
It matters in the, in the middle of this ongoing racial reconciliation for a, a nation that is having to confront how the ugliest parts of our history still shape our present. It, it matters for people who have marched for change and for those who aren't sure what all the anger is about. It matters for a nation divided. But most of us experience a nation divided as ourselves, in, in our own skin, with our own limitations and perspectives. But Easter, if it matters, probably matters all the way. For, for people who have been hurting, who, who are mourning deep losses, who are, who are wrestling with their mental health, new iterations of, of anxiety or depression or, or all across the spectrum that have cropped up in this past year. It matters for, for also for people who've quietly loved uh, this last year and all the shakeup, who've grown in unexpected ways, who don't know exactly how to say that the worst has been okay for them. It matters for those who have used all this rediscovered time to, to ask the most important questions of their life again, or maybe for the first time, and, and, and who know they can't, they don't want to return to the old normal. And it matters for those who are barely hanging on, who are worried that their kids have lost things they can't get back, and, and maybe they're doing it wrong, and they can't imagine another week of it, let alone another year. Easter, if it matters, it matters for the deeply faithful who've been counting down to this day. And it matters even to those who have given up any real thought of God. It matters to the ones who sing with their hands raised and the ones who feel awkward even thinking of that. It matters to those who are sure of, that, of their salvation and those who long ago decided that salvation was a myth. Easter, if it matters... It matters all the way. So let's see if we can get there. Let's see how a, a poor Jewish peasant rabbi who never made it to rabbi school started a movement with misfits and outcasts who said a whole new way of life, a whole new way of being human was springing up in the world because people were invited into the very life of God. The, the, the way of God in the world was extended to us, this way of forgiveness, mercy, justice, kindness, truth, lavish generosity, healing, abundant life. But how this life is made through sacrificial love and then, and then shockingly through this man's own brutal death at the hands of you know, the most predictable powers that be. And so what could have been something special was suddenly over scattered, and done. Except Easter says it wasn't. The, the, the dead prophet turned out to be more than a prophet when he walked out of the grave. He turned out to be the son of God, God in person. He had been all along. And the story of his life, death, and resurrection is somehow the story of the whole world. And so I promised you three trees, two secret conversations, and a scandal. In the reading today, uh, Mary Magdalene mistakes Jesus for the gardener. An honest mistake with layers of meaning. <laughs> 
the gardener, the storyteller John is doing all he can to show us that something is happening, that that a, a new creation is starting, a, a new world is beginning right in the middle of the old one. And he's signaling us to imagine this with all kinds of details that harken back to another story, the first day of the week, darkness, this chaos environment, the void. It all recalls Genesis, the imagery, the garden, the gardener. It takes us to our, our first of the three trees. So you've heard of this tree in the garden at the beginning, even if you've always written it off as a myth, a fantasy, or a fable. In the paradise of God, in in a place of love and beauty, satisfying work, uh, meaning, creation is thriving, it's teeming, it's abundant. God had asked for trust. God had said, don't take control and do life your own way. But deception and temptation entered the story and made it seem like maybe God was keeping something good from us. And so our ancient ancestors ate from from the tree that God had said not to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the illusion of control, to be our own gods, to sort out for ourselves what is right and wrong, what is good and bad. In a few lines of Hebrew poetry, it's, it's, it's one of the most exhaustive revelations of the human heart, of the nature of the world, the problem of evil, our struggle with God, our struggle to believe, our struggle to trust. The fallout from this first tree is devastating. It touches every relationship and sphere of life. C.S. Lewis once wrote, What the accuser put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods could set up on their own, as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Tree number one tells us the story of our fall from majesty and connection. It is the story of spiritual death. Now we know from experience intuitively that we're still capable of love. We, we know in our best moments that we all bear the image of God, but we have lost our union with God, our relational embrace, our connection, our family bond, and it has wreaked havoc on our world. It has wreaked havoc on our identity, our relationships, our society, on the planet. That's tree number one. And, and tree number two is about the repair. The Torah says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, but the world is suffering a curse. And so in a radical act of love, God stepped in to take that on himself. Our second tree is the cross of Jesus. And on the surface, the cross is the expected reaction of the powerful. It's the leader of of a minor revolution of untrained men and women challenging the religious authority of their nation being put down by force with the help of conspiracy, the might of empire, all the normal players. It has trumped up charges, a hasty trial, miscarried justice, and then this vicious death. But that's barely the beginning of the story of the cross, 
The cross is God stepping in to absorb in himself the sin that ruins the world in our hearts. It's taking the damage of tree number one. Jesus willingly walks towards the cross and will not be deterred even by his close friends and loved ones in getting there. He quakes in agony, right, as he's, as he's in Gethsemane, but he moves forward in love for the joy set before him, for the joy of our redemption. Christ is abandoned on the cross. Can you imagine this? The Trinity t- t- torn, you know, Jesus cr- crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken so that we don't have to be. Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished, over, the debt is paid, it is completely accomplished. Jesus on the cross is winning a victory over sin, death, and hell. (laughs) Over what was ruined in our world, over what holds us captive and stokes our fears. It is a public struggle (laughs) for for our lives in every sense, (laughs) and Christ is winning by dying. On the cross, God refused to be distant. He plunged himself into our pain and suffering. He took on the death that haunts us. I remember as a kid, my grandfather's funeral, and I saw him laying in his casket, and my young brain didn't know how to compute, but I knew that death looked ghastly, even in that funeral parlor, it looked wrong. Everything crucial about him seemed to be missing. And I also remember later in life being on the street in in Western China, and I saw this young man in an accident thrown from a cart behind a motorcycle, and I arrived on the scene right as his father sort of scooped him up. And I was there as his father held him dying. I was there when the other family members received the news, and I saw the agony of the loss. I stood by my own father on a Sunday morning as the machines ticked down, signaled the the last of his, his moments on this earth. Each time I have been there at the moment of death, it has marked me. The cross of Jesus, this second tree, is God confronting and absorbing death in order to change it. The old believers used to say, it is the death of death in the death of Christ. That's the second tree, the tree of forgiveness. God bearing the cost to repair the world for all who will receive him. It is God saying that not even death can separate us now. It gives us a future with God if we will have it. And that future takes us to the third tree. I am intensely against spoilers. I I do not like them at all. We have big rules in our house. Uh, There are consequences um, for telling in advance what happens in in a book or a film. I love to go on the ride, and I really like for other people to as well. Um, But on Easter, I hope that you'll permit me a spoiler. I want to read from the last page of the scriptures, the last page of the Bible. And it's this stirring imagery that this very same author is giving us about a vision of the age to come. This is Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. 
bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be, will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Arthur, her tree is this tree of life for the healing of the nations. From the garden in the beginning to this garden in the middle of this great city in the age to come. The tree of life for the healing of the nations. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is God's vision. All of, of humanity, every type, every culture, every color across the world sharing in this renewed future of the one who is called the lamb, who has sacrificially given himself to bring us in, to make us family, no matter where we began. Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is a salvation that is personal. Absolutely, it must come crashing into our hearts and minds. It must wake us up in a new way, but it's not just personal. It's also communal. It is for our souls and it is for the renewal of the world. And there is a share in it for each of us. When Jesus is speaking to Mary in our text for this morning, he makes a significant shift. All through the Gospels, he speaks of the Father, or he says, my Father. Now as he's speaking to Mary, once he's risen, he says, I'm going to my Father and your Father. It, it, it is a crucial shift. We are made family by the life, death, and resurrection of the Lamb of God. And we have a share in this future, in his future. Three trees. Our first secret conversation took place uh, with a man who needed to hide that he was curious about Jesus. None of his close community would accept that, so he found Jesus at night. And he asked Jesus what he was all about. The man's name was Nicodemus. And in John 3, Jesus shocks him with some of his responses. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What? What? Jesus is saying we have to be born a second time. That what he is offering is a way to be alive in a new way. With this religious leader who snuck away from his community in the night to find Jesus and ask this question burning in his soul, Jesus unpacks this mystery that, that we have to be born a second time, born in some sort of new way. He, he goes on and says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. He's saying we have had our natural birth, but we must also have a spiritual birth. The, the outflow of the reality of the first tree is that we have all inherited a spiritual death. And so we need to be called back to life in our own inner being. This is what we receive from Christ. His death makes us clean and forgiven. Our sins and shame and whatever that keeps us apart can be removed. But his resurrection life brings us into union. The, the, the risen Jesus calls us to wake up. 
in our inner person to come back from spiritual death. And that's the two parts, forgiveness and union. And it's made possible when God's spirit comes to fill us. Remember the tearing of the veil in the temple where the holy place of God was? Now that place can be in our lives that God would come to make his home in us. When Jesus died, the barriers were removed. When he rose, we became able to receive his embrace. The the summary of this secret conversation at night with Nicodemus, it gives us one of the most famous verses in in all the scripture. It, it, It helps us understand the three trees. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The second of our secret conversations is actually in our text with the disciples whose doors were locked in fear. And of course their doors were locked in fear. Their, their leader had been executed brutally and publicly, and they had to either hide or they could be next. Uh, where, where Nicodemus was, was curious, but he couldn't risk the social shame, uh, the disciples couldn't risk their necks. And so their doors were locked, but the risen Jesus comes to them. On, that, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So to the curious, he shows the way of life, this way of rebirth. To the fearful who have been locked, who have been locked behind doors, right? How has your year been? He comes with resurrection hope. He speaks peace to them. Shalom. Not just a, a, the tingle of an inner well-being, but uh, the, the putting right everything in our world. Well-being. It's the repair of all that was broken, all that was damaged after tree number one. We see it being healed here in secret conversation number two. Their fear becomes joy when the risen Savior Savior speaks peace to them. What Christ has done on the cross and in the resurrection is offer us forgiveness and union that cannot be undone. That is salvation. Can you imagine the relief, hiding, doors locked, listening for every sound, wondering when they're going to come, when you're going to hear them, you know, stomping up the stairs or kicking down the door, knowing that that's it, and to finally hear something, to notice something, to know something's coming, or just to look up and all of a sudden, everything that you've been holding on to, all the tension melts into love as you realize this is Jesus speaking peace to you. I hope on this Easter you can hear the risen Jesus speaking peace to you, saying to the depths of your inner being, shalom, life, join me, my beloved son, my beloved daughter. And they were overjoyed. And that leads us to our end, the scandal. In a patriarchal society, 
as was present in the first century, if you were going to make a story like this up to kick your movement off, um, you would never have chosen Mary to be the first witness of the resurrection. Women at this time and place could not even be called as a valid witness in court. Their rights were terribly restricted. And so maybe now from our modern vantage point, looking back, we, we can see Jesus is, is powerfully empowering someone um, you know, who the world had marginalized. But, but in, in the day this was written, it made no sense to include this as a detail unless it really happened this way. But Mary is the one who shows up because Mary is the one who was there. And any careful Torah readers uh, would have had alarm bells going off when they heard the story. A stone uh, ascending to God, realizing God had been there and you didn't know it. There are striking similarities to the father of the nation, Jacob, who, who, who became Israel in, in Genesis 38, saying, surely God was here and I didn't know it. Maybe for some of you, that will be the story of this day. The story of Easter 2021 will be a day where in a new way in your heart, you say, surely God was here and I just didn't know it. Surely I mistook him for the gardener. Surely my entire life I've been looking through a, 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 a lens that was dirty, that was, that was preventing me from seeing the reality of the love of Jesus, for, the, for the, the reality of the love of God to break in in a way that I could experience that embrace. Surely God was here and I didn't know it. Until I did. Mary Magdalene gets this experience. She is the one who's there at the revealing of God in this whole new way. Mary was a woman who knew brokenness. We don't know everything about her just from John's gospel, but as we fill in the other four accounts, or the four accounts, she had been spiritually tormented. Her life had been ruined before she met Christ, humiliated, overrun, possessed. But she experienced a deliverance. She had been brought into this new world that Jesus was making in a personal way, experienced forgiveness and union, these crucial elements of salvation through the cross and resurrection. But imagine this. Imagine your whole life being put together against all odds by the love of this itinerant Messiah wandering around the countryside, gathering people together, healing, feeding, announcing something about the kingdom of God is showing up. And let me show you what it looks like. And let me give you a taste of it. And, and let's have a meal together. And your whole world's put back together. And the spiritual torment and, and the, the burdens that you were carrying are lifted. And all of a sudden you're free and you're, you're new and you're alive. And then for the second time, you're crushed. She watched Jesus die. It was over. All the hope she had allowed to be rebuilt, that, that second time hope that just gets to this towering place, all of a sudden it's decimated. There are different types of pain in life. We all know this. But there's, there's, the, there's the early pain when there's tremendous obstacles in our early life. You could call this maybe like the pains of the loss of innocence, where the things are happening to us in the world that we have no control over, really, or, 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 or the wounds pile up and, 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 the, and we feel like we're dealt a bad hand and it's, it's, it's awful. And, 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 and maybe um, you know, things, you know, wounds and struggles and, and diagnosis and addictions come into our life because of this early pain and our response to it. But then you put your life back together, you experience a healing, you experience a new way opened. 
There's a different kind of devastation when the thing that rescued you seems to fail. When the, the thing that seemed to put you back together goes away. If one is the pain of a lost innocence, the other is a pain of absolute devastation. It is a crushing defeat. And, and Mary knew this agony that morning. Can you imagine her stumbling down the road to this garden tomb? What's she going to find there? Certainly not expecting to find what she finds. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. We're only getting a glimpse, a sliver, like we only all get of one another, but the layers of depth and meaning and humanity and life and all the brokenness of the, of the, of the first two trees and all the hopes dashed of the third tree all represented in this one moment. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked, woman, why are you crying? Angels not super in touch with what Mary's going on in dealing with here, not, not seeing the layers. Angels, come, come on, guys, let's get, why are you crying? Lots of reasons. They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. What is going on? He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who was it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. The courage, even in her grief, is, is profound. And Jesus said to her, the word that changes everything, Mary. Mary. He says her name. Mary the scandal, Mary the twice devastated, Mary crushed by grief, left out of her society and the power structures of the world, hears Jesus call her name. And she changes, and the world changes. She becomes apostle to the apostles. She's the first one to carry the message of the resurrection, the first one to preach the gospel of Jesus. Friends, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Mary got it started for us, right? And her first encounter with this Jesus who says her name means that you and I can have an encounter with a Jesus no matter how curious we are but afraid, how much we've been locked behind closed doors, how much we've wrestled with anxiety or depression or addiction or, or, or felt like it's not for us, it's always for someone else, or felt like it's a myth that's trying to control us. All through all that noise, you can hear the voice of Jesus cutting through, saying your name, saying your name, speaking peace. Come and be a part of my family. Come and share in this future with me. <coughs> Mary's first encounter with Easter, encounter with Jesus, rippled across the world. These Jewish men and women, they had no framework for Yahweh, the God who shook the mountain, entering history 
as a person. No framework for one individual resurrection in the middle of the story of the world. But all of a sudden it becomes clear this Jesus is not just Messiah of Israel, but the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And they weren't claiming, remember this, super quickly, they weren't claiming to believe in the resurrection on faith. They saw him. The early New Testament documents that circled around that got this movement of Jesus started said 500 of them saw him. And there was not enough time had passed that you couldn't go and ask those 500 people, tell me about your experience. And if it wasn't true, the movement would have fizzled. But instead of fizzling, it explodes. It grows across the entire world. This rabble of untrained men and women reached the entire Roman Empire in 300 years. It's absurd. And it begins with this encounter in this garden tomb, Jesus saying her name. How many times have we said that this year? Say her name. Say their names. There's so much power in it. This is how Jesus begins to repair the world. But it wasn't just a a one-off experience with this resurrection. I I think it's one of the most historically attested, verifiable events in the world, but I'm not standing here today proclaiming that something long ago really happened. That's important, and I think it did, absolutely, but I'm saying something more. I'm saying today, you can experience the risen life of this Jesus. You can be embraced by this God. You can hear him speak forgiveness. You can hear him invite union. You can hear him call you beloved. You can hear him call you by your name and your nickname and your secret name that nobody knows. All the damage of the first you know, two trees and all the healing of the third tree and the healing of the nations and every tribe and tongue and nation, that can become your inheritance as part of the family of God because this risen Jesus isn't just in the pages of the story long ago. He's right here, right now saying to you, I'm here. I'm knocking on the door. I'm open. I want want you to receive my love. Will you hear me say your name? To the curious, but the ones who are hiding it, to the desperate, to the ones locked away in fear, and to the powerful who are sure they've won, to all of us, for the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of our hearts. After the year that we've had, Jesus is risen and he is saying, share in my life. There's nothing that need keep us separated. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Come to him today. Hear him call your name. Hear him say peace to you. Shalom, my son. Shalom, my daughter. Salvation. Heavenly Father, pour out your new life on us.
Do what none of us can do by our own words, but what your Spirit does all the time. Call us to life. God, maybe for the first time, people need to receive what you've accomplished through your life, death, and resurrection, this gospel salvation. I pray there would be surrender to that love this morning. I pray also for those who've heard this story a million times, I pray we'd be apprehended in a new way at you saying our name, at you remembering and knowing us, and us remembering and knowing you, and that embrace that we share. And you are risen, Jesus. We celebrate, we worship, we love you. Truly you are holy. Truly there is none like you who could enter our pain and death and transform it and give us life and life to the full life that will not end. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.